Hey, good morning. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. And Pastor Josh, I didn't mention this, but we have a small group for 6th and 7th graders. So if you're in 6th or 7th grade, you can go out the hall to your left, to your right. And um, the, the living room, he and his team will be meeting you down there. So I think a lot of those guys and gals already slipped out. But we wanted you to be aware of that. Hello to my friends online. It's awesome to see Well, I don't see you, but it's awesome that you're seeing me. I guess that sounds self-centered, doesn't it? But it's great that you're online. And thanks for all of you who are here at CIL Church. And and it's just great to see what God's doing here at this 9 a.m. service. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 10. I'm going to continue a teaching from two weeks ago about walking in the fear of God. By the way, my wife, Beth, she uh, taught us last week and did such a great job. I was so proud of her. If you missed that. Uh, go back and watch that or listen to that. Um, what a powerful sermon that was. So we're going to continue the sermon. I didn't finish it two weeks ago. We'll finish it today. And here is the takeaway. And you'll see this if you're in version. We're back on version. You can find CIL Church there. The takeaway is this. The fear of God benefits your life. The fear of God is going to benefit your life. And it's going to be good for you. And we, we automatically associate fear as always bad. And the Bible says, fear not, don't be afraid for many things. But fear of the Lord is a good thing. So now we're at Deuteronomy chapter 10. And if you're present and if you're able, let's stand to honor God's word. And at the conclusion of this reading of this verse, um, I'll present this as the word of the Lord. And if you choose to, you can respond. Thanks be to God. And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I'm going to review quickly last week's or two weeks ago's sermon without re-preaching the sermon. So you got to hold me accountable to that. Have you ever realized that when preachers say, let me review the last sermon and then they spend 20 minutes reviewing that? Well, we won't do that. But here are the three points that I gave two weeks ago. Um, the fear of the Lord restrains our sinful impulses. The fear of the Lord humbles our arrogant opinions. And the fear of the Lord slows our frantic building of a personal kingdom. And so we'll kind of pick up now on that third point and, and asking this question, what are you building? Because see, we are carefully crafting a life, either intentionally or unintentionally. Most of us were unintentional about it. And when we're unintentional about it, uh, we're, we're probably building something for ourselves. As kingdom people, as Jesus people, uh, we don't get to just make those determinations by ourselves, in ourselves, for ourselves. We are building for the kingdom of God. So as we begin to talk about the fear of the Lord, there's this very rare combination, very rare. The ability uh, to fear someone and to love someone at the same time. This is such a rare combination that you really can't give a lot of earthly um, analogies for that or comparisons for that. So I tried two weeks ago, I talked about a coach that meant a lot to me. But then I thought, you know, there were probably players on that same team that would laugh at that because they would think that maybe that coach didn't give them enough playing time or, or enough uh, fair chances. And so they're like, no way. I don't 
see that as, at all. So maybe I, I would talk about a parent. I could talk about my parents or my grandparents. But then you might think about your parents or you might think about your grandparents and you say, well, no, I, I, there, there was no love in them. They were just mean. I, I just feared them. I, I didn't feel love. So whether it's a choir director, a coach, a teacher, um, someone in your life, any example that I give you um, that may be true to me may not be true to you. And, and this is why the perfection of God is so important. So I thought, well, let's just talk about, you know, someone safe in, among us who are evangelical, conservative, Bible-believing Christians. I mean, we, 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 uh, we feel like C.S. Lewis is safe. <laughs> Which the funny thing about it is, is those who are um, liberal theologically, they, they claim C.S. Lewis. And then evangelicals claim C.S. Lewis. So we just claim C.S. Lewis as somebody safe that we can all agree upon. So let's talk about, uh, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, because you cannot be a pastor in the 2020s in America and not like uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, you just can't. I mean, it's impossible uh, because it's like, again, C.S. Lewis, and it's a safe movie and no controversy. So here we go. So think about in all of the books on the Chronicles of Narnia and the movies, um, there is this lion named Aslan. And what's cool about this lion is he speaks. And so because he speaks out of his mouth, intentions are known. And so it is this, you you see this picture, and and if you see it on cinema, it's even more powerful. uh, This idea of this, this animal that you would fear in the wild... You, you would fear if you encountered them, but because in Lewis's character portrayed, this character speaks and he speaks gently and he speaks with power and he speaks with love. And so th- this is, this is a way that we can maybe have a natural example of what it is to fear the Lord. Thumbs up means you can take off the, the picture. Thanks. Uh, th- that's just a new signal we'll have, you know, for those of you who are here, you see me do this. Thumbs up. So. Um, the, the idea is something that is powerful, that, that does threaten us without love, but so full of love that we're actually attracted to it. Guys, okay, I'm trying to explain the fear of God and human words will fail us today, but I hope this helps us move in a little bit closer because the fear of the Lord is going to help you. Remember that the the whole purpose of this lesson, this teaching is to say the fear of the Lord is good for you. The fear of the Lord is going to benefit your life. And so we, we, we begin to see that that there's a difference between being afraid and holy fear. And, and I want you to really get this distinction right now because it'll be a filter you'll hear the rest of this teaching on. Okay, so when you're afraid, you're trying to avoid harm. And those natural instincts within us that says, you know, danger, run, danger. You know, all, all the little kids, all your little kids that I love, and, and I hope they would love their pastor, but they don't know who I am. So I'm like, hi, children. They're like, stranger, danger, weird man with a beard. I'm like, you're right, honey. You're right, young man. Be afraid of me unless you know who I am. Uh, but there's that instinct within us that, that runs. It avoids. I mean, we, we actually have a release in our body of adrenaline that helps us to, to, to uh, flight, <laughs> to, you know, fright or flight. I mean, we're out of there. 
That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear, that's being afraid. The fear of the Lord actually draws us to him. So the fear of the Lord, we, we can maybe use that example, and, and you have an example in your personal life that applies, or in this fictional account of Aslam, this idea of like, okay, I'm drawn. I, I know that this is a very powerful force, but I'm still drawn to him, or I'm drawn to it. I'm drawn to the love. This is the kind of fear that the Lord wants us to have for him. Now, those who are afraid draw back from the Lord, but those who fear him go to the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is going to take us to him and to his presence. Now, working with people, and you've worked with people too, you've met that person before. You know that person who's like whimsical and you enjoy being around them and you see all kinds of potential in them, but they just keep making bad choices. And they just, you're like, why do they keep repeating the same choices over and over again? Now, we used to see this when I was working more with young adults. Well, and this doesn't really apply to young adults too. So this might be a word for some of you guys. When you're looking for a spouse, when you're looking for someone to date, some, sometimes we would say, well, she is such a great girl, but she just, her picker is off. She just picks lousy dudes. And, and the opposite is true. I mean, the same is true for the men. I mean, like, what a great guy, but his picker's off. He just can't pick a good girl to date. He can't, he can't just make a quality choice. And, and so that's one example, but we begin to see that like people sometimes they, they, they continue to fall into the same patterns and, and they may be great people and, and, and we'll be in heaven with them, but it's so frustrating because you're like, you keep making terrible mistakes and you keep making unwise mistakes. So I, I want to suggest to you today that the fear of the Lord births good choices. The fear of the Lord is the, the, the baseline, the foundation of you making better choices in the future. And, and that's what I want for you. I want for us. I want for myself. I want for my kids. I, I want us to walk in wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of the wisdom is, is knowing that God is smarter than you. Knowing that God is wiser than you. Knowing that you are under his leadership and under his direction. So look at this proverb. And the proverbs are full of wise sayings specifically about the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says it this way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And this is, this is a lot of the frustration that, that I see working with with people of all ages is that they keep making the same mistakes. And one of the reasons people make the same mistakes, it is because they're not willing to admit when they make a mistake. So if you never recognize your mistake, you never correct your mistake. And see, part of the fear of the Lord is realizing that you're not perfect. You're not flawless. You have made mistakes and you will make mistakes, but you have a friend, you have a companion, uh, you, you have a source you have an advisor, you have a presence of the Holy Spirit to be with you in decision-making. And acknowledging this is the baseline and the foundation for the fear of the Lord. So 
let me ask you this question, but don't raise your hand. Just, just it's a, it's a rhetorical question. How many of you want to be smart? Okay, I mean, a lot of people, I mean, we, we wouldn't say, yeah, I want to be smart. And we wrongly believe that being smart has something to do with a grade point average or something to do with an ACT score or something to do with an IQ test. It's not true. Some people with the highest IQs are some of the dumbest people I've ever met. I'm sorry to say that because they, they and, and I guess if you're a child, don't use the word dumb. Um, but um, that's, that's one of the threats of not sending your kids to children's church. I might use the D word. So the, the, the issue here is not what you do in a formal test. It's applying that knowledge to life. So intelligence is how you respond to the situation at hand, not to a hypothetical situation on a test. And so it is that wisdom is the great launcher of knowledge. And wisdom is what holds knowledge and makes knowledge meaningful. And it begins with the fear of the Lord, that you're like, I need the counsel of God. I fear the Lord. I respect the Lord. I need his counsel. I need his wisdom. I need ancient wisdom. I need perspective. I need a source, the scripture that has been tested for millennia. It it has been tested for centuries. And that's where I'm going to draw my source from. Now, at the beginning of this teaching, I forgot to go over the definition of the fear of the Lord. I know I've been describing the fear of the Lord, but if we can go back to the beginning, here's a, just a, a great definition of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is, it's out of my notes. It was a really good definition two weeks ago. <laughs> Here it is. The fear of the Lord is this, is obedience out of reverence to God. So you're obeying God because you revere God. You obey God because you have reverence for God. And so our decisions are not coming out of our own self-will. Our decisions are in response to God leading us, God speaking to us, uh, God revealing more of his character to us. This is what wisdom is. So I, I love the fact that that when I realize that I am not as smart as everyone around me, about everything, then I become a lifelong learner. That, that's what happens. When, you, when you're not impressed with your intellect, then you become a lifelong learner because you continue to become curious. And, and that's how we are with God. We continue to learn the character of God, the ways of God, the perspective of God, and we realize that the principles of God apply in this decade, the 2020s in a way, and in and, and, it's established in a way it's never been established before because we're in a new day and a new hour and a new generation. And so this is part of walking the wisdom. I'm a wisdom. I'm a lifelong learner and I'm going to learn from the Lord, but some of us don't learn from the Lord because we're not willing to learn from anyone else. I mean, we are just so full of pride in our own ability to form an opinion that we can't listen to anyone else. So I, years ago, 25 years ago, I had a little mowing business and, and I would mow several yards in the neighborhood and all that, I don't know, 10 yards or something like that. And back in those days, there was something called an edger. 
okay? And the edger was this like amazing machine. It was like a lawnmower, but it was one blade. It just went over and over and you would edge the grass. And I mean, it was, it looked like the, the most dangerous weapon in the world if used wrongly, but uh, we used it to edge the grass. So then as time went on, I have allergy issues and uh, I stopped mowing. In fact, one Easter, I came, I, I mowed the day before Easter service and I came up here and my voice was gone. And so uh, someone in our church then said, I'm going to pay for someone to mow your lawn, Aaron. That was probably 10 years ago. And they paid a kid in our youth group to mow our yard. And then, and then I started paying people myself after that. So all of that happened until this year. And this year when we made a move and everything changed and I became the lawn guy again at my house. And um, so it's pretty cool. Um, I, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm learning it. I'm enjoying it. I'm not giving any hint to any, for anyone to pay for lawn service. You got to be careful as a pastor. If you tell stories like this, people take it the wrong way. So, but now I realize that the edger, that blade that just like looked like it would just, you know, kill your worst enemy is out of vogue now. You don't use an edger. You use just a weed eater. And I, and, and I have trouble with weed eaters. We I mean, those things are of the devil, man. I mean, I mean, I'm wrapping, I spent all afternoon like rewrapping the string and messing around with it. I'm like, what? it was so much better when I just pulled the lever and the blade just went forever and ever. But we don't do that anymore. No, we need, we need a plastic, a plastic wire that goes and goes and goes. So I'm like, okay, I need to figure out what's going on. And so my friend Nelson is a professional landscaper. And so last week after service, I just ran into him. He happened to be sitting here. We didn't plan this. Um, he's sitting here in the front row. And I just say, hey, Nelson, do people use edgers anymore? He's like, oh, no, we never use edgers. And so he starts telling me all about, about weed eaters and what I should consider buying and where I should go. Later on in the day, I got a text message from him with pictures of different weed eaters for me to buy. I mean, it was awesome. I was like, I, I know more about weed eaters than I ever did before. Why? Because I, I, I found someone smarter than me. And I just said, teach me. Teach me, oh, Yoda of weed eaters. <laughs> I am your Padawan. I have a niece. I guess she's about eight years old now, maybe nine years old. And not too long ago, uh, we were having a family gathering and and I saw her playing with slime. I'm like, slime, what's the deal here? So I asked Georgia, what is going on here? So she begins to explain to me, slime is like a big deal with young girls now. My, my baby girl's 20 years old, so I'm, I'm, I, it wasn't that big of a deal 12 years ago. But slime is so big that like there's slime conventions and that like you moms and daughters pay tickets to go watch these slime characters take slime and do things with slime. And so Georgia began to explain to me, um, you know, what you could do with slime. And she started showing me different recipes of slime and you can make them smell a certain way, look a certain way, form a certain way. And you know what? It was a delightful 15 minutes of learning about slime. And, and I, I want, in that situation, like I learned from her, she was smarter than me about slime. She knew more about that. There was a whole other world of slime I didn't know about. And now Georgia was able to teach me. So this is the humility that we need to approach the Lord with. That, that his wisdom is so much greater than we can even conceive. Why would we not want to learn from his word? To, to hear from his prophets. To, to, to see the unfolding of the church and its history and how it impacts our life. These are gifts that he has for us. You fear the Lord when you don't believe you're smarter than the Lord. 
And that, that's an issue for us, that we, we just really think that God should take our advice and God should conform to us instead of us conform to God. Here's another great Proverbs. Proverbs 19.23 says it this way. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Oh, that's good. And whoever has it rest satisfied, he will not be visited by harm. Well, this is a great, this is a great thing. This is a great thing that when you fear the Lord, you do what is right because you honor the Lord. When you fear the Lord, you do what's correct because you reverence the Lord. Not just because you're trying to slide into heaven. Not because you're trying to find the bare minimum. You know, we, a couple of words that are popular in Christianity today that are good biblical ancient words is the word shalom, which is talking about the full perfect peace of God, and the word Sabbath, which is talking about the rhythm that God established in the beginning of rest. And so we, we, we love to hear those words, and they're words that we aspire for, to be in the shalom of God, that perfect wholeness, not fragmented, but the wholeness and the peace of God, um, to be in the Sabbath of God, which is not just one day of the week, it's a whole rest that the book of Hebrews says we have entered in. We're in a Sabbath rest. Uh, we're in a Sabbath rest from the accusation of the enemy. We're in a Sabbath rest from the fear of hell. We're in a Sabbath rest of wondering if we're part of God's people. We're at rest. We're with him. These are good words. But to live in Shalom and to live in Sabbath, I want to suggest to you that the baseline of that is the fear of the Lord. You see, when we don't live in the fear of the Lord, some of us are conflicted about things that we should not be conflicted about. And that just comes with what the Lord has revealed in his word. And so when we know the character of the Lord and we know the laws of the Lord and we know the expectations of the Lord for a New Testament Christian and we know the standard of righteousness, guys, it takes away a lot of the dilemmas that are causing angst within us. Let me tell you, this world is stressed out. Many of our health problems are stress-related. Many of our, our issues that we're dealing with in society can go back to stress-related. And I want to tell you, uh, the person who is the most stressed person I've ever met is someone who can't decide what they're going to do about sin. And they, they can't decide whether they agree with God or not. So they're always in this tension of trying to justify, this tension of trying to excuse, this, this, this tension of trying to show how their past has made them this way, instead of just agreeing with God and repenting and, and saying, God, what you said is sin, and I'm going to repent. And I want to tell you that there's freedom ahead of time. If you have a chance to embezzle from your company and you're wondering whether you should or shouldn't and you're stressed out about this tension, um, go ahead and walk in the fear of the Lord and be free because it's going to go good with you if you walk in the fear of the Lord. There's no moral dilemma because you fear the Lord and you respect the Lord. You're going to do what the Lord says. I'm going to tell you, drugs in this country are illegal. And if drugs are illegal, you should not take illegal drugs. And that just takes away the tension. You should take away the tension of that. You're saying, out of fear of the Lord, then, you know, it's not a question of whether or not I'm going to take illegal drugs. That I fear the Lord in that area. And I reverence the Lord, and I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm not doing it to avoid consequences. I'm doing it to honor him. I'm doing it to reverence him. So with that in mind, I want us to 
read this story in Genesis about Joseph. Joseph had already been uh, sold into slavery, and he he was living in Egypt, you know, as as an illegal slave alien. I mean, he was in a country that was not his own. He was in he was in a situation uh, where where he was not part of a dominant group. He was he was just totally subjected to the will of his master, uh, a person named Potiphar. We'll pick up Genesis chapter thirty nine and verse two. And the Lord was with, was with, the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. And when the master saw that jo- the Lord was with him, and, and the Lord had made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Egypt. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned and in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. How many know this story is going good so far, right? I mean, it's a good story. Well, it changes right here. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. After some time, his master's wife looked longingly, longingly at Joseph and said, sleep with me. Let's just stop there for a second. Joseph could say, the blessing of the Lord is rolling in. Hallelujah. I mean, right? I mean, in, in some mindsets, this seems like just a, a perfect scenario. I mean... I'm in charge of his property. I'm in charge of his whole house. I'm in charge of all his money. This just seems the natural progressive step. And, and you know what? Joseph deserved it. Joseph deserves, deserved some just illicit, free, no consequence sex. He deserved it in his mind. He could have said, I was sold in slavery. I didn't get a chance to date the other Hebrew girls back home because my stupid brothers and what they did to me. And, and it, it, it could have been totally reasonable to Joseph to justify sin here. I mean, he could have just come up with excuses and probably a lot of us would have bought into it. Yeah, man, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure Potiphar put on you. He's putting a lot of pressure on you. He's not paying you what you deserve and, and you're going to get him back and enjoy it while you do. I mean, the, the, these... These are some of the dilemmas. I didn't want to read too fast, so it didn't just pass over you what was going on here. This was an opportunity for him to enjoy himself and to do something that some people would celebrate. I'm going to tell you, in this story, most of the world would celebrate his chance to do this. In the culture we live in today in 2020, they would celebrate that. They would think it's cool. They would think it's well-deserved. They would think that it's funny. They would think that, you know, that, that, that this was sticking it to the man. I mean, and, and really, and, and, and making him pay behind the scenes. So let's read on. You guys nervous to read on now? You got it real quiet. I didn't hear a bunch of amen in there. All right. Verse, verse seven. Verse eight, excuse me. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, with, with me here, my wife, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. And he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Now he's making just the logical argument here. 
the natural argument. Now he makes the spiritual argument. Here it is. So how could I do this immense evil and how could I sin against God? Not sin against the company, not sin against Potiphar, not sin against the nation, not sin against the moral code. How could I sin against God? That, my friends, is an example of the fear of the Lord. It is obedience to God's word out of reverence to God's word. Obedience to God's word out of reverence to that. And verse 10 says, although she spoke to to Joseph day after day, it wasn't a one-time event, he refused to go to bed with her. This is where the fear of the Lord will go good for you. Even when it's hard. And I know I was reading into that story. We won't know until we get into heaven whether it was a temptation or not to him. Well, obviously it was, or the Bible wouldn't put that, but we don't know the degree. We don't know exactly all that was happening. And I recognize I'm, I'm, you know, projecting some things onto that story, but it's a story that has been real in someone's life. And it will be real in someone's life. And I'm going to tell you this right now. For some people in here, God is going to remind you about this moment in the coming months. I'm just going to tell you this. I'm just going to predict this. God's going to remind you about this moment, and you're going to be a Joseph. Some of you ladies are going to be a Joseph. Some of you guys are going to be a Joseph, and you're going to say no to honor God. That's the first, the first thing we do. We honor God. There's all types of it. If you're married, you want to honor your spouse, obviously, so on and so forth. And we can make a whole list of why we say no to things that oppose God's law. But first of all, May we fear the Lord and we say, no, because I don't want to sin against my God. You know, the 1980s were a violent time for children. And I was one of those children. And this is not a a heavy thing. This will be a funny thing. Sorry. Um, When you start talking about violence, people are like, what's going on here? But I, I had an older brother, and I still do, and an older cousin, seven years older than me. And uh, th- these guys, man, they just beat me up all the time. I mean, I just, I'm not talking about like beat me up verbally. They did that also, but they physically beat me up all the time. Uh, and um, they would just take me outside and let's go play. And then they would just plummet me and um, they would invite me to the back room and they would just kick my butt all over the place. And, and then, you know, my parents knew about it. My dad would say, Hey, no stitches guys, no stitches. If you come close, I have three sets of stitches on my head right now. So he just was trying to save the copay on that time. And so, you know, they've apologized to me late, later in life. They've said, man, we're so sorry what we did to you when you were a kid. I'm like, no, no problem. You guys prepared me to be a pastor. I get beat up all the time now. So, um, so, so that, that was kind of the life we lived in the 80s. You know, we didn't really protect each other from physical violence. We just used it to make us better. Um, and so when we would go swimming, and this wasn't always with my brother and cousin now, this was the neighborhood kids. Uh, my friend Brian had a pool two doors down. And so we would play this game called Uncle. And Uncle is when you would wrestle, and if someone got your head, you know, your head was in their armpit, and then they'd just put you under water until you couldn't breathe anymore. You'd come back up, and, and then they'd put you back under again. 
And then they'd pull you back up and you'd breathe again. And then finally, and they'd keep doing that. It was like the original waterboarding. Why do you think all these people used that technique in the 2000s? They learned it in the backyard swimming pool. And so, you know, I'd go under and come back. Finally, I'd come up and go, oh, cool. And then, then they'd do one last dip and all the water would come down your throat when that happened. So I'm telling you, the 80s were something else, wasn't it? I mean, it was great. So uncle, uncle. Um, another time we would play this game called Mercy. And mercy is when you, you would you would interlock your hands, and and then you would press back and forth until someone yelled mercy. If your hand got bent so back, like it, your hand would bend, and then your whole body would go on the on the ground, and you would fall on the ground, and you'd play mercy. I was okay. Sometimes I would win. Sometimes I would lose. In seventh grade, we're all standing out waiting for the carpool ride. And someone said, let's play Mercy. Allison, you know, come play Mercy. The eighth graders called me. Allison, come play Mercy. So I did. And they um, they brought a girl to play against me. And I'm like, I had all kinds of dilemmas here. And it's like, you know, I don't want to, I mean, what can I do? Should I not? I don't really want to play against this girl. But at this point, the whole carpool line had ser- served a full circle around. And everybody's like, let's see it, let's see it, let's see it, let's go. So I didn't want to show her up. She was somewhat of a friend, or at least I'd known her a lot of my life. And so we start playing mercy and, and I said, well, I'll go easy at first. Well, they said, go. And man, my wrist went back immediately. And guys, there was no turning back. She beat me, man. She beat me. And, and I was like, ah! I finally yelled mercy. And then everyone started cheering and then going crazy. And, and my best friend just looked at me and just shook his head like that. So I never was quite the same after that again. Here's the deal. You need mercy. You cry uncle only when someone's more powerful than you. I mean, you, your, your head is interlocked in the armpit and you're going down another time underwater. I don't recommend any of this, children. The 80s were terrible. You're going back under again, so you go, uncle! Or your wrist is so far back and you're on the ground and, and you can't take the pain anymore. And you say, mercy! It's only when someone's more powerful than you. That's when you need mercy. Here's my last point today. The fear of God positions us for mercy. It positions us for mercy. Um, When Mary, um, when she was chosen to carry uh, Jesus, she has this beautiful song that we should pray more because it represents what happens when God chooses a human being to be his servant. And just as God chose Mary, he's chosen all of us. She's part of that company of saints like the rest of us. Frail, sinful people just chosen by God. And Mary said this. This is in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation from generation. You see, we talk about the mercy of the Lord. And you only need the mercy of the Lord if you recognize the power of the Lord. If you're, on e- if you're equal with God, or even if, if you think you're smarter than God, and if you think that you're wiser than God, you don't need the mercy of God. But when you walk in the fear of the Lord and you realize that his power is so great, then 
you call upon his mercy and you receive his mercy to help you in times of need. And you receive his mercy to help you with the sin that you struggle with. And you receive his mercy to help you with the results of your big mouth when you don't shut up when you should. His mercy is there for your anger. His mercy is there for your rebellion. His mercy is there for your laziness and your spiritual laziness. And we have a lot of that. that that's going to be a big battle for us the next few years. But his mercy is there for you in that. And his mercy will help you with that. His mercy is there because his power is greater than you. And, and he has, he, he ha- there's a power imbalance with God. And that power imbalance is a good thing. Because he holds all power in his perfection. You see, power corrupts us. The more power we get, it it takes a rare woman or man of character to increase in power and not to use it to take advantage of other people. But God, the power imbalance is good. We can trust him because in his perfection, there is no darkness. And in his holiness, there is no ill motive. And in God's righteousness, there is no hidden agenda or hidden motive. He, in perfect love, we fear him, but that fear is a reason we love him. You see, if we didn't fear the Lord, and recognize his power, then our love wouldn't be complete. Our our love would just be a a love that is circumstantial, a love that is based off him doing what we want. But now our love is based off his uniqueness, on his character, on his incomparable qualities, on what makes him special and what makes him different. So here's a prayer. It's a prayer that I pray at least once a week in my life. It's a prayer that I want you to consider praying Father, release the spirit of the fear of God into my heart. Now, some of us, that might even feel feel scary to say because of all of the baggage that's upon that word fear and all of the baggage that when we don't, we haven't sat under a teaching like this. But I want to tell you that over and over in the scripture, the scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord is a good thing, that the fear of the Lord is beneficial. And so, Lord, I'm going to ask that you release the spirit of the fear of the Lord into my heart that I might rightly and correctly relate to you and know you in a way that's good and becoming. And it's what you want. Let's stand together if you're able to. So, Lord, we just receive your goodness right now. We receive your goodness, Lord. You know, the glory of God, we pray about the glory of God. The glory of God is the manifestation of his goodness. The glory of God is a manifestation of his goodness. It's everything good about God that comes upon you. So we say, God, show us your glory. God, let your glory descend. Lord, we want the heaviness of your goodness. We want the heaviness of your righteousness. We want the heaviness of your holiness. And it's a good kind of heavy. It's like a a good kind of weight that feels right and feels uh, becoming. And it feels like you're connecting to what's uh, best for you. This is this is why we ask for the fear of the Lord, because with the fear of the Lord comes the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is manifested by those who fear him. And we fear him and we fear him and approach him. Our fear of the Lord 
draws us to the Lord. Our fear of the Lord opens up the love of the Lord. So, Father, we do pray that. We we pray that you would release the spirit of the fear of the Lord in, in our life and in our heart so that, Lord, we may know you rightly. We may know you correctly. Some of us have an incorrect view of God, and the Lord is correcting that through his word and through his scripture and even through the teaching of the word so that you're not conforming God into your image. You're submitting to God out of God's revelation. God's revealing his truth to you. So God, we step in to what you have for us. We step in to what you have for us. We step in into the days you have for us. And Lord, we love you and we praise your name and we thank you for the greatness of who you are. We're going to have a few minutes to respond to scripture and respond to this word. And I want to suggest some ways that you can respond uh, in, in these days when we're respecting our neighbors. And I think that it re- that does please the Lord to respect our neighbors. And so we, we just are making temporary accommodations uh, so that we can meet together longer. And so we're done so out of love. Guys, I, I do miss uh, communion by intention so much. And, and, and there's going to come a day soon that we're going to offer that again. Uh, I believe that. And, and, I, and I miss so much even the way we used to do corporate communion. And we will do it again because the word says to do it again. But we, under the leadership of the Lord, we just are loving our neighbor by just making wise choices so that we can continue to walk together. But there, there are, if you didn't pick up, there's communion available in the lobby and the uh, little plastic packages where the juice and the bread are there together. And so you can go uh, get one of those as we pray. If you want to take communion, I won't give further instructions. We'll have a prayer of confession here momentarily. Guys, here's an area at the front. A lot of you guys, it really helps you to physically walk forward. And these steps can represent an altar. And, and I just want to say that these are always open. And I also want to say this is that if you never come to the altar, you don't have the right to criticize that we don't have people at the altar. Can I just say that? Can I just say that if, if, if you think, if you, if you like to go to a church where people come to the altar, I want to suggest to you that you come to the altar. I cannot like go, like force people to respond to the Lord. I just invite people to respond to the Lord. So if you want to be part of a church where people come to the altar, the altar is open and you can stay here as long as you want. We can start the next service and you can still be at the altar. No one's going to make you leave. All right, that first song, you may have people at the altar at 1045. Who knows? Because everyone's invited to the altar. You don't have to leave. This is your sanctuary. This is God's sanctuary. Guess what? I don't have to be in the room for you to seek the Lord. All right, your faith is not dependent on me. So so that's a chance. You may want to pray with someone you love in these clusters of people that uh, you've come to church with or that you know they're comfortable praying together. You may want to get into the scripture go back to some of these passages and write down or mark down that. But in just a few minutes, Pastor Chip's going to give today's benediction. And 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 probably in three, four, five minutes, that, that'll probably happen, unless the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to do that. Because we do listen to the Holy Spirit, right? We do listen to Him. So those are available too. And, and Pastor Aubrey will lead us in singing, and, and we'll have a chance to respond to the Lord. I pray this prayer of confession every day because it's based off the Bible and it's based off the triune God. And if you want to pray this prayer to prepare our hearts for communion, feel free to join me. Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, set up your kingdom in our midst. Lord Jesus Christ, son of the living God, 
have mercy on me, a sinner. Holy Spirit, breath of the living God, renew me and all of the world.